in it. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you thanking you for the word that you are giving to us this morning. Lord, we pray that you would work powerfully in our hearts through your word, by your spirit, that lives and lives would be changed this very day, Lord, uh, that we, Lord, would be growing and enlightened and encouraged, that our hearts and our minds would be illuminated to the truth and that we would praise you for it. Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 29. Hear now the holy word of God written for you and for me today. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. And indeed the grass withers and its flower fades, but the word of our God remains and endures forever. Praise the Lord. Well, beloved in Christ Jesus, hearts and minds were challenged, correction was given, and confidence by the grace of God grew in many as the Apostle Paul continued to help the saints in Corinth understand the important reasons as why they needed to affirm the promise and guarantee of the resurrection of the dead, especially as they considered its inseparable connection with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Christ being the first fruits, the the second and the last Adam, is critical for God's people to understand in regards to the resurrection. Paul has made that very and wonderfully clear for us. As for as the first fruits, as Paul told King Agrippa, Jesus was the first to rise. And that being said, he won't be the only one to rise. As the first fruit of the crop was for the offering, Christ is a token of the whole harvest of God's people to come when he returns. And further, whereas by the first Adam came death, by the life-giving second Adam came the resurrection of the dead. And as in the first Adam all die, in Christ all of God's people are not only made spiritually alive as we have passed from death to life, 1 John 3.14, but we shall also be raised from the dead unto eternal life. So Christ, our Redeemer and life giver, is also Christ, our King, 
who sovereignly rules over and administers the kingdom that has been given to him by his Father, the kingdom that you and I are a part of, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he rules well. Praise him that he is putting all of his and our enemies under his feet, so that when Christ returns, when those who are asleep in Jesus are raised, and along with his people who are alive, are taken up to be with him, then comes the end. The Son will deliver the kingdom in its present form. To his Father, he will put an end to all authority and rule and power. Praise the Lord for the glorious work of the triune God as our redemption will be complete and and God will be all in all with his sovereign reign being acknowledged everywhere. Praise the Lord. And considering this corrected and, and right view of the resurrection of the dead, Paul, in our text here, returns once again to address some of the fruit of bad doctrine. Some of the fruit of bad doctrine. Let's look at his words about those baptized for the dead in verse 29. Why you should serve Christ in verses 30 through 32. And the true effects of evil company in verses 32 through 34. So Paul begins with some interesting, and for some of you, maybe questions may arise and curiosities may arise as to why is he talking about those who are being baptized for the dead? Well, Paul had some important and rhetorical questions for them that we see in verses 29 through 32 to emphasize the absurdity of their denying the bodily resurrection of the dead. And we need to keep that in mind. As we consider these verses, this is really what Paul is mainly addressing here and and talking about. It's one of the underlying messages that he's communicating. And see that as he does so, he does so focusing on two areas. First, baptism, and then secondly, the Christian life. First, baptism, and then secondly, the Christian life. In verse 29, he says, otherwise... In other words, consider what I just said in the preceding context. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Now see a few things here. It appears from Paul's words that some were baptizing those who were alive for those who had died. And there is obscurity as to the specifics of the practice that Paul refers to in this verse. However, it appears that some were baptizing those who were alive on behalf of or for the benefit of the dead. It's possible that this was along the lines of the Romish doctrine of, of purgatory where the living could be baptized to help sanctify the dead. And know that this practice isn't mentioned elsewhere in scripture or in other ancient writings. But to be clear, Paul is not endorsing the practice of being baptized vicariously in the place of other people for the sake of their salvation, as justification is by faith alone in Christ alone. His message in that has been crystal clear in this epistle, along with his epistle to the Romans and elsewhere. 
This teaching and practice of baptism that he speaks of here in verse 29 contradicts Paul's teaching on grace and the need for personal faith in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But also know that the majority of commentators believe that Paul disproved of the practice he spoke to and about in verse 29. They believe that he saw it as the fruit of bad doctrine, in part because he distances himself from the practice as he refers to the people involved as they versus we. And if you notice in the preceding and the following contexts of this passage, he uses we and he moves to they here. John Calvin held a slightly different position, saying that this referred to situations where a catechumen who was like a a new convert going through membership class to publicly profess his faith and be baptized, that a catechumen who had already in his heart embraced the Christian faith saw that death was impending over him, he asked to be baptized partly for his own consolation and partly with a view to the edification of his brethren. That was Calvin's opinion. And if you look at Calvin's writings, he is also referencing some of Chrysostom as well. But what was Paul's point then here in this verse? What they were doing made no sense. What they were doing made no sense if there was no resurrection of the dead. In other words, their practice was inconsistent with their words. And secondly, the Corinthians needed to think about the necessity of the resurrection of the dead, considering the sacrificial cost of discipleship in the Christian life. And that's where he goes in verse 30. He asks another question. And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Beloved, the resurrection hope of the Christian shapes and impacts our life and our walk here and now. I hope that that message, and I hope that that really and truly, uh, that the Spirit of God has been working that in your heart and mind, that as we've been talking about and fleshing out this doctrine of the resurrection, both the resurrection of Christ and praising the Lord for that, as well as praising him for the great and wonderful and real and true hope that we have in the resurrection of the dead because of the resurrection of Christ, that these things have been impactful for your faith and your life and your hope today. We all know that it was dangerous being a Christian and much more a preacher and an apostle at that time, as it is or should be now. You may have heard it before, I'll say it again, but a prominent theologian today has said time and again, one of the problems with preachers today is that nobody wants to kill us anymore. We need to be preaching the truth. We need to be preaching it boldly knowing, even as Paul said at the beginning of this Corinthian letter, the gospel is offensive. The gospel is foolishness to those who do not believe. And therefore, they will rage and they will seek to snuff us out. As you look at Paul's life in Scripture, you see that this was very true for him and the other apostles. 
Paul's life was filled with perilous and painful situations. Paul's question here about why do we stand in jeopardy every hour was important for the Corinthians as it is for us. Why would Paul put himself in great danger if this world is all that there is? Why would Paul put himself on death's doorstep every day for Christ and his lambs if there's no true promise and hope? Why would Paul faithfully preach the offensive gospel of Jesus Christ no matter the cost if this word world is all that there is? Well, let us take a moment and consider what Paul endured. For indeed, as you consider the details of Paul's life as revealed in Scripture and the perils that he endured, you see the wonderful grace and work of God. Let's take a moment and consider Acts chapter 9, and in fact, we're going to be going through a couple of uh, several passages in Acts. Turn with me there, if you would. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 22. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 22, there we read, But Saul increased all the more in strength, and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. So plots to have him murdered. But yet the grace of God and his work and his providence that Paul would go on remained. Acts chapter 13. Turn with me a few chapters later. Acts chapter 13 and verse 45. Acts 13.45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. One more chapter over in Acts 14, the first two verses there. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Now I want you to keep those words and that action in mind as we consider the last portion of our text here in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. What did they do? They stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. A few verses later in Acts 14, verse 19, we read there, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Man. Many preachers of the gospel today would put their tails between their legs and go home. But not Paul. Not the apostles. 
And this should be true for men who are valiant and courageous preachers of the gospel today. This is what we live for, for Christ, for his gospel. No matter what may come against us, prison or peril, we stand. We don't turn, whatever they may do to us. But Paul then gives us a summary of his hardships and sufferings for Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 28, let's read that as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 28. He begins with important questions. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. We see that reference there to Acts 14, 19. From the Jews, five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. The power and the grace of God, beloved, right here in these words. This long list. This long list over and over and over again. Pain and peril. But what was his concern? Not for himself. My concern is for all the churches. Paul would lay down his life for the people of God. He would lay down his life for Christ and his ministry. So in verse 31, we see now, considering this context of Paul's ministry, we see Paul's words in verse 31 all the more vibrantly, or we should. I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. I die daily. Beloved, Paul and the apostles were at death's doorstep every day because they were carrying out the charge of the risen and reigning Christ. They put their lives on the line. They were beaten and they got back up for the sake of the glorious gospel of Jesus because of their sure confidence in the promise of God that the dead will rise. Paul's words, I die daily, beloved, echo Jesus' words. In Luke 9, verses 23 and 24, when he says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, notice, 
the frequency and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Beloved, are you, like Paul, prepared to die daily? What does that mean? Maybe that would be a helpful thing for you to think about as you consider that question. We must die more and more to self. We must put the old man to death and put on Christ and the new man more and more every day by the grace and the work of God. We are called to die to self in our marriages. We are called to die to self in our relationships and in all aspects of our lives. We are to die to self in the witness of Christ. But also and importantly, dying daily is having a spirit-wrought zeal and walk in standing and continuing to stand against the world and the devil, even as Paul has just enumerated in all of those passages in Acts. We stand for the truths of God's word. We stand for biblical marriage and gender. And we stand for life. And as we structure our lives and families according to biblical standards, and we don't divert, we don't deviate, as we proclaim the truth with love and boldness, and as we teach others to do the same, and as we share the gospel with those in the dark world who hate God and those who, and, and who hate all who belong to him, we will face the onslaught of the world. We will and we do. This is nothing new and it will go on as we continue to remain faithful. But here we stand and here we walk. By the grace of God and the work of the Spirit, we are not unlike Paul. And we must not be. In courage and boldness, in love and compassion, But the truth will be proclaimed. Indeed, Paul said, I die daily. Again, why would Paul do this if the dead are not raised? Look at verse 32. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Why would I fight with the beasts when I could just be like the beasts? I mean, if there's really no difference, I mean, if it really doesn't matter, why are we doing all this? Because it does matter. Because the dead do rise. Because we serve the Lord Christ. Here is the the defective message and mantra of the world. Do whatever you want today. Fulfill fulfill your lusts. Eat, drink, be merry. For tomorrow it's all over. Right? Isaiah spoke of this sinful mindset in Isaiah 56, verse 12, when he says, Come, one says, I will bring wine and we will fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. 
But again, why would Paul have argued with such Ephesians if the dead do not rise? Considering all of this, Paul then gives a warning to the Corinthians. Look at verse 33 and these important four words. This is why he said what he said, but they needed to hear this as he brings correction to bad doctrine. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Beloved, one of the dangers of sin and deceivers in our midst is that we all too easily can become deceived. We at one time knew the truth and stood on it like Corinth did when Paul preached to them in person. And then through poisonous deceit, even drip by drip in our ears and in our minds, we eventually turn and allow, maybe turning a blind eye to the sin that we once stood against. Paul bluntly puts it here that the Corinthians needed to realize that similar to the incest that Paul addressed in chapter 5, remember back to them. They couldn't allow those who denied the resurrection to remain in their midst. They needed to turn the poison off and to get the leaven out. For it was corrupting their hearts. It was corrupting their beliefs. It was corrupting the body. And as they were poisoned, they were in turn then part of the spreading of the poison that corrupted others in the congregation. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says this. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Beloved, never forget that in leading one astray, deception is a part of that. We begin to believe the lie, and that's why we go off course. Sometimes it's easy to entertain bad company in the relationships that we have and minimize and rationalize the effects that they have on us. You may say to yourself, well, yeah, I, I like hanging out with him and he does bad stuff, but, but he won't affect me or, or change me into being like him or thinking like him or speaking like him. Beloved, don't be deceived. Drip by drip. I don't know if you've heard the story before. Maybe I've shared it before. It's a common thing for pastors to not just share illustrations once. It's like a frog being cooked in a pot. You know how to cook a frog in a pot. If you turn on the heat too fast, he'll hop out. But you put him in the cold water and you turn on the heat slowly and turn it up slowly. And he becomes acclimated to the heat, but sooner enough, He's cooked. It's done. It's over. Such is the, po the poison and the effects of corruption of bad company. And so Paul gives the Corinthians a call to action in verse 34. Look there, he says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 
Wake up, he says. See, see the deception. See what you're doing to each other. And yet, repent of your sin. And turn to the Lord and walk in righteousness. Beloved, you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ because of that which has been imputed to you as he has paid for your sins and taken your sins upon him. You have his righteousness. Walk according to it. Awake to righteousness, he says. For those in Corinth who boasted of their knowledge but denied the resurrection showed their true ignorance of the things of God. And and the saints buying into that was to their shame. So I'll leave you with this. How does the resurrection affect and shape how you walk today as you know that you're walking in the danger zone? What sacrifices, even in regards to your battle against selfishness, are, are you willing to make for the sake of Christ? How strong of a stand for the gospel and for the truth of the word are you willing to stand for? despite whatever and whoever may come against you. In following him, are you committed to stand for him, and are you committed and prepared to die daily? But beloved, also, take great care in who you associate with. Take great care in who you have in your inner circle, those who you allow to influence you, the most. Fruit will manifest itself in in your life according to the company that you keep and the teaching that you listen to. It not only includes friends and acquaintances and family even, it also includes things that are going into your ear holes. What are you listening to? What are you filling your eyes with and your mind with? The things of God are that which will corrupt you. Ask yourself, are they encouraging me? Are they sharpening me in my walk with Christ? Or are they wearing down my defenses against sin? Are they pushing me to indulge myself in sin and fleshly desires? Don't be blind into thinking that you're Superman and impervious to the attempts and lures of anyone who lures you to walk down that dark path. Many in Corinth who once defended the truth and promise of the resurrection of the dead became like those who in time denied it. Sin and their sinful pressures, beloved, will corrupt you from the inside out before you even know it. Like that frog in the pot. We must be on guard. And so, on the flip side of this, it's also right and good to ask yourself, am I committed not only to doing this myself, but am I committed to helping others follow Jesus? For we do have that responsibility as well. And in dying daily, this is a part of that, that what we need to do to guard and to walk in righteousness today ourselves, that must take place. But as we are doing so, how are we helping others to follow Christ? What does and how should that look like in your life? 
But finally, I, I want to encourage you strongly. Proclaim the resurrection with bold confidence and watchful walking in righteousness, encouraging others to do the same, even those in this very body. If you, if you wonder, you know, Pastor, I'm just, I get this, but I don't know where to start, or, or maybe I haven't been doing it enough, but what do I do? Begin here. You have these people, even in this room, even in this body, those within your family, Begin there. Pray that the Spirit would guide you and direct you in these things. But watchfully walk in righteousness, boldly with your God, to the glory of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this challenging word. We thank you, Lord, that it takes us out of ourself. As we do need to seek to deny ourselves and pick up our crosses daily and follow Christ, oh Lord, help us to die daily. Help us not just to give lip service to it or thought to it, but not the feet to it. Lord, we pray for your Spirit's work, for courage and zeal, that we would be zealous like Paul, that we may be bruised, we may be wounded, we may incur pain of all sorts, but we continue to walk and to stand for you, Lord Jesus. May we do so individually and as families and together as a body you be praised, our Lord and our God. Keep us pure in all things, that we would rock in righteousness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.